Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chase Baker, and I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. In today's message, you'll hear from Pastor Jacob as he teaches us from 1 John chapter 5, and it closes out our series, A Beautiful Life. We hope that today's message encourages you to go out and to leave a legacy of love. Now, let's hear from Jacob. Morning, church. My name is Jacob. I'm the discipleship pastor, and it's my honor to close out this series, A Beautiful Life. And I don't know about you guys, but this this series has been so good for my heart. And, And at the end of today, we'll be able to say that we studied the whole book of 1 John together. And today, we're gonna look at his final words to us. But to frame our conversation, I want to tell you about I was I was reading a book um, not too long ago, and in the book it gave an illustration of this movie called The Stalker. And so I went and watched the movie uh, The Stalker. And it, don't don't get confused. I know you're like the Stalker. That sounds weird. It's not what you think it is because it was a 1979 sci-fi Russian documentary. So a stalker is is not what we think. A stalker is somebody who is like a guide, and they're they're guiding uh, people through this journey. And in the the movie, and just Side note, this is not a pastoral recommendation to go watch this movie because it's weird. And I watched it so you didn't have to, so that's for you. Um, but in this movie, there's something super interesting that happens. There's a post-apocalyptic world and they're traveling to get to this place called the zone. And in the zone, there's a room. And the reason why everybody wants to go to this place and they need someone to guide them because in this room, your deepest desire is granted. So in the movie, they, they're, they're trekking across the landscape, they get to the zone, they come to the room where their deepest desire will be met, and then they don't go in out of fear of what's inside. So if you think about it, like if we went to the zone together, we went to this room, what would be inside of that room? What would be your deepest desire? And the reason they didn't, they didn't go in because they didn't know what was inside is because they did know what was inside. And it wasn't that it was a, this grand desire in their heart. They were afraid to go in because they knew what was in there was too small. It was little. It was petty. And, you know, some say of our culture, we want too much. I would argue that we want too little. And I don't mean there's a lack of desire in our hearts. We, are, we have infinite desire. We have longings we can all attest to. We have deep longings inside of us. It's not that we don't want enough. It's what we want is too little. That if we were to go to that zone together and we open the door, we would look inside and say, man, my desire was too small. And C.S. Lewis says it like this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We have been offered the infinite and we run after the finite. We've been given the eternal and yet we run after functional, small, lesser gods. And what I hope we see today in this passage, we walk through that through the Holy Spirit and through God's word, he reveals some one of those lesser gods, but refocuses our heart. So we put in that room what should be our chief desire, and that is God alone. 
If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13. This is what the Word of God says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those who sin I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death. I'm not saying that you should not pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are the children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in the son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. So as we look at these final words from John, I wanna jump into this first verse. This is what it says. I write these things to you who believe. So he's talking to believers here. He's saying, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So what John is telling us here is the reason I wrote this book, the reason for all of this is this, so that you may know. That you may know, and know what? That you have eternal life. He's writing to us here as as believers that we don't forget what's been given to us, that the greatest gift of all time has been handed to us, that he is giving us eternal life. And I'm writing this letter so that you may know. And we know that when we know something, that knowing leads to confidence. He's writing to us so we have confidence in this truth that we have eternal life. And I I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where you become the actually guy. Well, you know, somebody's talking, they're having a conversation and, and you know something that's true and they're saying something that's wrong and you have enough confidence to break in and go, well, actually, um, this is the truth. And we have, because the reason we have the confidence to do this is because we know in our heart and what John is telling us is like, you should know and I wanna give you confidence that you have eternal life so that you may know. The problem is, in our culture, everything around us is preaching our gospel to us so that we may doubt. John is telling us, I'm writing this so you may know, and then everything around us is preaching gospel is so you may doubt. And that's not a new thing. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did Satan say to Adam and Eve? They had confidence in God. They were seeking to have their confidence in God, and Satan says, did he really say Did God really say he starts to begin the preaching of the gospel of doubt? So you may doubt. So all these things in our life are preaching to us this message of trying to get us to doubt the confidence in God for eternal life. We're seeking not only to have us doubt, but also for us to have our confidence in it. But what John is saying is our confidence 
what we should know should only be in God alone. That it should only be in who God is. And let me, let me show you in this next passage. He says, this is the confidence, so we know, so we have confidence. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that he hears us. And whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So our nature is to have confidence in something. God gave us this innate desire, this longing inside of us to have confidence in this. So he writes this to us so that we would focus our confidence in God alone. However, our nature is to misplace that confidence. So it's, it's summer, Eric declared a second ago, summer has begun. I appreciate his declaration, but in my house, summer actually begun when they opened the pool in my neighborhood. That's when summer began, and I have three kids, an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, and if you didn't know this, another one on the way, boom, they're roasted. Um, so pray for me, please. Um, but my kids love to swim, but here's the thing, don't tell them this, they're here, but they're not very good swimmers. And this is why they're not very good swimmers. It's not because they have swim lessons, which swim lessons is a thing. When I grew up, swim lessons wasn't a thing. Your grandma just kicked you in the pool, and then whatever happened, happened. But they're not great swimmers, but this is why they're not great swimmers. It's because they, they lack the confidence. So they'll be in the pool. They'll be holding on to the side, the safe place, the thing they have confidence in. And their father will be in the water. That's me, I'm the father. And I'll just say, son, come to me. Trust me. I want you to have confidence in me that I'm gonna take care of you. And they'll go for a little bit. And then they'll go right back. They won't come all the way to me because they lack the confidence. I don't know in that story if you hear yourself that God is beckoning you, that's calling you to say, I am your father. Trust me. Have confidence in me. But just like all of us in our nature, we tend to hold on to the side, the thing that we have confidence in. But when he tells us this, he gives us a warning. There's a warning tied to this confidence because if we are people of deep desire for, to put our confidence in something, that means it's very possible for us to misplace our confidence in something else. And we fast forward to the last line of the book and it says this, dear children, keep yourself from idols. It's a really weird way to end the book. He's like, love your name, love people, pursue Christ, walk as he walked. Oh, by the way, keep yourself from idols is the last thing. It's like when I, leave, when I leave for work in the morning with my kids, I always, we have this mantra we say together. I always ask them, I said, hey guys, what are you gonna do today? And they always respond with the same thing. We've talked about this many times. You're gonna lead, you're gonna love, you're gonna learn, you're gonna listen, you're gonna have fun and be a good friend. We do it every single day. And then I turn around, if they answer, I say, guys, I'm gonna go and do the same thing. So when I'm thinking about this, as John's leaving us, he writes the last thing, it would be like me at the end. When I leave, go, I was like, hey, what are y'all gonna do? Listen, learn, love, be a good friend, have fun. And then, by the way, keep yourself from idols and then leave because that's what John did. But if I did do that, that would mean because it's super important that I wanted them to know. And that's what I think we should see here is John is telling us this because it is super important for us to know and it's connected back to our confidence in eternity in God. So when you think about idols, you're like, idols? John must have been writing this. It was just to the people he was writing to in that culture and context because they probably worshiped carved images or something 
like that. That's, that, that's not for us, that's for them. And yes, there was some of that during that time. There was worship of, of physical idols. But I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever seen something like this before, but I've been on international mission trip in, in different areas of the world where I've been in someone's house where they literally had a shelf of carved images and this one's for fertility, and this one is for uh, the crops, and this one is for uh, peace, this one's for health, and there's, they have different gods that they sacrifice to these gods. I've, I've seen this before, so you're like, that's what John is talking about, yeah. Well, yes, but he's also talking about a different type of an idol, an idol of the heart, because each one of those carved images is providing something back for those people that are worshiping carved images. They're this is gonna provide me fertility. If I give this, it'll give me this. If I give this, it'll give me health. If I give this, the crops will grow. And I've seen them sacrifice, so they're literally giving sacrifices to these things. But what John is talking about is that. Well, we have idols of the heart that we misplace confidence in that it can provide something that it can't. And as I've defied idols like this. Idols or lesser gods are objects of misplaced confidence. So John says, have your confidence in God to provide you eternal life. But then he says, beware of idols, keep yourself from idols. And an idol is anything we misplace our confidence in and think it can provide something that it can not. If I got this new job, I would finally have the thing that I need. If this person saw me differently, then I would have the thing that I need. Idols are anything that we misplace our confidence in. Let me show you how it flows out. So we are, we are people created with this longing to have confidence in something. John focuses that confidence and says that should all go on God alone, that he has the power to provide for us eternal life. And once we can come to a place and say, I trust in God to fully provide for me what I need for eternal life, that he sent his son to die on the cross so that I may have eternal life. And maybe, just maybe, we just need to pause right here. And if you've never trusted in that truth that God sent his son to give you eternal life, then we just need to stop there and you just stop, take a deep breath and let the Holy Spirit speak to you to say, I am ready to have confidence in God for eternal life. But he's speaking to believers here and he's saying, I want you believers to have confidence in God and eternal life. And once we know that God has the power to give us eternal life, then we know in that is also everything you ever need. Because if God is our confidence to give us eternal life, how much more can he provide the little things that we think we need and that we run after? But what happens is, like we sang a second ago, we are prone to wonder. What happens? We wander to lesser gods, to idols. That we wander because we forget. The, the word remember is one of the most used words in the Bible because we should remember. And what happens when you don't remember? You forget and you run to idols. And what happens to you run to idols? These idols think you think they can provide something that they can't. I will finally be happy when this happens. And we think it's gonna provide for it. And what happens when it doesn't? We come up empty. And it's an unending cycle. We run after an idol, 
We think it's gonna give this thing to us. We think it's gonna provide for us this thing and it doesn't and we end up empty and we think to ourselves, well, maybe I didn't try it hard enough. Maybe I didn't do it good enough. I need to go back to that thing. I'm gonna find it again. And then we go from emptiness back to the idol. Maybe it's a different idol. I was running after the wrong thing. I was running after success. Maybe I should run after money instead. I wasn't running money. Maybe I'll run after people. And it's emptiness. It's an unending cycle back to idols. It doesn't provide empty. Idols, it doesn't provide empty. And if you would ask me about my testimony, take away this top part, my testimony for Christ was every one of this motion. Relationships, maybe this relationship, this will be the one that finally gives me contentment. It doesn't provide empty back. Well, maybe alcohol will be the thing. Doesn't provide back empty. Maybe it's drugs, empty, empty until I sat down and fell to my knees in my mid-20s and said, I have confidence in God alone to give me everything I ever need. But John's talking to believers here that this is our hearts that we're prone to wonder to these idols and the end goal is always, always emptiness. So for us to check our heart, I wanna tell you this quote from Tim Keller. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. I don't know about you, but that's hard to hear. That the thing that we're running after is actually controlling us. That when we talked about the box in the zone, whatever is in that box, the thing you desire most, that is your because it's what you chiefly desire in your heart. And the thing about these idols is every one of those things, whatever it is in the box, require continual sacrifice. Those idols in the, in the country where I went, where I saw them on the shelf, they're continuing sacrificing chickens, burnt offerings, they're doing these things so they can continually have the thing that they think it's gonna provide for. And when it doesn't come, when the, when the harvest doesn't come, we didn't sacrifice enough. And the idols of our heart are the same way. They require continual sacrifice. If we're running after power, we have to continually work to get the power. And what do we sacrifice? We have to sacrifice our time, our fidelity. We have to sacrifice our worship. Because God created us to be worshipers. And we are going to worship something. And when it is an idol, it takes sacrifice. And it may be even your family that you've sacrificed for this idol. Because idols require continual sacrifice. You have to trade something for it. So let's stop and let's, let's really check our hearts for a second. You have this in your notes and you don't have to write anything in there if you don't want to, but you can if you, if you feel bold enough to do it. Ask yourself this question. My life would be perfect if blank. My life would be perfect if blank. And if we're honest with ourselves, whatever we write in that blank is the thing in the box in the zone. That's the thing we most chief desire. You're like, well, I'm not sure what that thing is. Think about this. What do you lay in bed awake thinking about? What do you think if I just added this to my life, my life would be better? And that is your chief desire. And we're gonna walk through some things that may fit into um, this box. So here, here are 
three major objects of misplaced confidence. Confidence we should have in God, but we've misplaced it in something else. But before I go through these, I wanna tell you this. The things we're gonna talk about, they are good things. Most of them are good things. The problem is when we make good things, God things. It's not that these things are inherently bad, when they're placed in the place that only belongs for God, then they become God things. The hold for us is to keep from making good things God things, that we take the gifts that he's given us and we worship the good gifts over the good gift giver. So just think about that as we walk through those. So the first one, object of misplaced confidence is power. Briefly mentioned it already, and here's some ways that this manifests itself. The first thing, is success. My life would be perfect if I had more success. We'll put that in the blank. You know, I was recently looking at fears, like what are the, the top fears of Americans? And the number one is public speaking, which I think is funny. Uh, I'm sorry if that's yours. Um, but to me, like there's people in this room, like your greatest fear is to have to stand up here and do what I'm doing. But I really believe this. If I put you in a room with a bunch of snakes for an hour, you would come back and do a TED talk about how bad snakes are. You wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about public speaking anymore. That's just me because I hate snakes. So, so public speaking, but high on the list is fear of failure. Fear of failure. That we all struggle with and need like, I need to succeed that my life would be better if I had more success, if I got the promotion that I didn't get last time, if I got this job that gave me more money, if I got this, then, then I would be happy. And we work and we toil, and what are we sacrificing for that thing? Because it is sacrifice. And I love this quote from Francis Chan from his book, Crazy Love. He says, our fear shouldn't be our failure. It should be for succeeding at things that don't matter. That's what we should fear. And in my job, I've done a lot of funerals, sadly, enough. And one thing you notice that at most funerals, the people that are there are the people that you possibly sacrificed on the way to your success that you're trying for. It's not your business partners that are there. It's not the people you work, the people that you climbed the ladder over. It's your family that's there. So success may be an idol that we're running after. Or maybe it's money. Maybe it's money. My life would be perfect if I had more money. Well, let me ask you this. What is that number? What is the number? Can you write down a number that says, like, once I get this amount of money, then I'm going to be happy. Then my life will be perfect. I hate to tell you, but that number is going to keep going up if you put money as an idol in your life. I don't know if you know who P.T. Barnum is. It's Hugh Jackman. Um, if you, if you ever look up a picture of P.T. Barnum, trust me, he does not look like Hugh Jackman. Uh, but P.T. Barnum was one of the wealthiest uh, people in the world at his time. That if you, Even if he was alive today and you scaled how much money he had to now, he'd be one of the wealthiest people in the world. And P.T. Barnum said this. He said that money is a poor master, but an excellent servant. Because money's like fire. Fire has two natures. It has the, the nature to burn or to build. You could burn a city with fire, or you could build a city with fire. You can cook with fire, or you can use it as a weapon. It has these two natures, and money is the same way. It can either be used as a tool, or it could be your master. 
And if when you lay in bed at night, you, your, your thoughts automatically go to money, we have to take a step back and say, you know what? Once we realize that money is not a God, that it is a tool, we can step back with the money that we have and say, it is all a gift given to us by the Father that every penny we have was put there by the hand of a loving Father. And instead of thinking, I need more, we think, how does God want me to use this money? Or maybe it's things. If I had more things, and I mean, this is the weekend to struggle with it. If you look on Facebook, everyone has some awesome things. Man, if I had that jet ski, that would be awesome. Or put in the blank, whatever the thing that your heart runs to, that if I, if I just had that thing, I would, get, I would do anything to get those things. But just like money, what is enough? What are the things that are enough that once I have this amount of things, I will have enough? So in power, it's success, it's money, it's things that we think may make us happy. The next one's people. The object of people, and this is the way it manifests itself, is status. If people only respected me, then my life would be better. That we live under the control and slavery of the idea that what people think of me is the greatest good that I can be a part of. And that we toil and we work to that end of caring what people think about us. And it becomes our God. Or maybe it's relationships. And there's a, this is a broad term, we could fit a lot of things in. Like Keller said before, that we have people in our life, we have a relationship with someone, and we toil and work for their approval and they functionally become a God to us because we're doing everything to have their pleasure, to have them be pleased with us, and we are serving that person. Or maybe it's a relationship you don't have yet. It's a blank of someone you hope to have, and your whole life is bent on serving that person that is out there that doesn't exist yet. And that relationship has become like a God to you. Or maybe it's your family. I love my kids. They are good things, but they cannot become God things. I cannot sacrifice everything for their good. I would do anything for them, but they are not my God. Or maybe it's sports. Maybe it's your kids' sports. And trust me, I have a real experience with this. Like, I just got through coaching eight-year-old baseball, and it is so easy, so easy. I play sports my whole life, but sitting out there, on with my eight-year-old playing second base, it's so easy to flip that switch and want to live vicariously through them. It is so easy. But then it hit me, why am I so prone to drift towards living vicariously through my kids to where that becomes my everything? I mean, I could have sold everything and gone on a travel team because that's what it would take to go on these travel teams is sell everything that you have. But I could do it. I was like, I could do this. We're going to go all in on this. And then I was like, why is my heart going here? Why am I so mad when that umpire called him out when I know he was safe? It's because of that thing we've already been talking about, that God made us with this deep longing and desire. And when I see my son succeed, it feels like a God to me because of this. Because when our Father sees us and we obey and we please him, he is well pleased. And what we're seeing in our sons and daughters succeeding is just a minute little 
piece of what God created in us and what he sees in us and what we should see in our kids and what it is is us going after too little and pleased by too little when God is offering us more. So maybe it's family, maybe it's a person, maybe it's status. And the last one is pleasure. Maybe it's physical pleasure is your God. If my sex life looked different, then I would be happy. Or we run to food to make us happy. That when things are going wrong, we run to food because it's our idol that I eat when I'm sad, I eat when I'm depressed. It could be food as an idol. It could be anything that has to do with body. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. That when things go wrong, I run back to the idol of alcohol and sacrifice whatever it takes to it. And then alcohol is not working. Maybe it's drugs. Whatever it is, it could be a physical thing that our bodies are longing for. And we find it as an idol in our life and we sacrifice whatever it takes to have those things. Or maybe it's comfort. You're like, what's wrong with comfort? Comfort's awesome. Maybe our idol is just to feel good. And I'm gonna confess an idol to you guys right here. Don't tell anybody. My couch is an idol. When I get done with work, I have on my mind one thing. I need to get to that couch. And I will sacrifice whatever it takes. There's kids coming. I'm blocking them out of the way, dodging and rolling. I'm gonna get to that couch. Why y'all laughing at my sin? I don't understand. Uh, But it's an idol to me. Because I just want that comfort. I've worked hard. I deserve this. And, but what am I sacrificing to get there? I know I heard Matt Chandler say one time, pastor, it really convicted me. Is he was telling men, get off the couch and get on the floor. Get off the couch and get on the floor with your kids. Because sometimes the idol of comfort is draws us to, man, I just need this rest when our kids need us more or someone else needs us more. There's something always to do for God's kingdom more than be on the couch. Hey, it's okay to be on the couch sometimes, trust me. Y'all gonna be there later, me too. Or maybe it's to feel safe. Safety is a God to you. I'll do anything to feel safe. I will never go on an international mission trip because I don't think it will be safe. Well, brothers and sisters, if that's true, if that's your heart, then that safety may be your God because God's calling us to something bigger for the sake of his gospel. I'm about to step on some toes here. Entertainment could be a God. I'm just gonna pick one. There's a, I could hit many, but I'm just gonna hit one. It's your phone. Your phone could be a God. It could be my God. It could be an idol. They say that the statistics show that uh, average American looks at his phone every four minutes. That means in this sermon, you've already looked at your phone eight times. You're laughing because I know what you're thinking. You're like, I've looked at my phone way more than that. (laughs) But really, you could put your phone in the power category, in the people category, and the pleasure category. Because knowledge is power. You have all this power in your hand. You have all of this knowledge. I know about all the people, the people that I'm trying to manipulate. I can see what they're doing. I can manipulate them because they're my God. Or I can, uh, I see what they say about me. Did they like my post? Did they do this thing? It could be your phone can be an idol easily. It was my pleasure. I just want to get home and look at my phone. I just want to scroll on my phone. Well, you know how your kids draw pictures of you? You know, they draw a picture of dad. He's got a suitcase, got a briefcase going to work or he's throwing the ball. I had this great fear that one day my kids draw a picture of me and it's me holding my phone. I pray that that is not true. And I pray that's not true for any of us, that we would not sacrifice anything for the sake of a device. 
but I know the temptation is great because it feels like everything you ever need is inside of it. But that's not true. So what do we do? He says, dear children, keep yourself from idols. Another translation says, guard your heart. So think about this. In any military battle, the way to win a battle, like everybody wants to get to high ground. If you get the high ground, 90% chance you're gonna win the battle. Just ask Obi-Wan Kenobi when he took out Anakin. I got the high ground, it's over. It's for my Star Wars people, this one in here. The oftentimes we think about idols and sin, we think that the sin and the idol has the high ground and we're climbing up the mountain to try to defeat it. That is absolutely a lie. Because with God, he always has the high ground. And those idols are coming up the sides and we are pushing them back by God's power. So if our idols are our power, people that we control or our pleasure, the way to fight back them is God's power, place ourselves with God, God's power, God's people and God's pleasure. Because here's the gospel truth. If God has the power to give you eternal life, brothers and sisters, hear this, he has the power to destroy idols. He has the power to defeat sin. You know how I know that? Because he's already done it on the cross. So if you hear any of those things, you're like, I'm struggling with every one of those. Me too. That was really just a long sermon to myself. God has defeated all of those idols. It is his power to deliver you has already been done. And God's people, we stop seeing people as a tool for us to manipulate or to manipulate us. And we see God's people as a gift around us. Brothers and sisters, I would not be here if it weren't for God's people around me and protecting my heart. We need God's people around us and we need to be that people in other people's life. And then pleasure, then we stop thinking about our pleasure. Instead, we focus on God's pleasure. That we live a beautiful life to where we come to the end and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. I am well done pleased. I have these trails that go around my house. Um, they're through the woods and there's these spots in there that are always wet and muddy. And they're always wet and muddy because the sun doesn't shine in those spots. And the only way to make those spots dry is to go in there and trim the trees to where the sun will come in. Brothers and sisters, we all have spots in our life that are still muddy. They're still messy. They're still running after idols. But what we need is people in our life to come trim the trees so God's power can come into our life and defeat these things. At the end, we see this verse, back to the beginning. This is the confidence we have approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. A beautiful life is this. One lived in the confidence that Jesus is everything you will ever need. That if he has the power to give you eternal life, he has the power to provide every single need that you have. That we believe the promise of Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That we truly have confidence in that truth that we believe that truth. And once we realize that God has given us his grace and that his grace is enough, we stop seeing things as idols. Once we realize that the grace is enough, we see everything as a gift and not as a God. 
And once we really believe this truth that everything we ever need is in Jesus, that you can take the world, but give me Jesus. And we realize that is a beautiful life. We are compelled, the Bible says, to go share that good news with everyone that we come across. That Jesus is everything we ever need. Let's pray. Father, as we come in your presence, Lord, there's two, I know there's two people in this room. There's somebody here who have never taken the step, never had the confidence. They've been running for idols like I was their whole entire life, Lord. They, and they feel empty here today, Lord. I pray that they feel your goodness. They feel your power. And that by the Holy Spirit, you would weigh on them to know that they can have confidence in you, God, for eternal life. And that everything they ever need is provided from them once they relinquish power, relinquish pleasure, and then live fully for you, God. Let them do that here today. And for us that are believers, Lord, and we've been running after idols, Lord, I pray by your power, Lord, you destroy these idols in our life, Lord, that we would see that you are so much better, Lord, that we would stop running after the little things, Lord, and we run after you, God. So that at the end of our life, we live a beautiful life. So at the end, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we ask all of these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of our Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go podcast and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.